We are wrapping up this morning a lament series as we learn the uncool, the very essential spiritual skill of lament and the neighbor skill of sitting with one another times of suffering and mourning. Um, Oftentimes pastors will say the world is a broken place or a bent place and um, I wonder if you know where we get that, where we... uh, where we learned that from. And I wonder if you've ever been frustrated with me. Some of you are, are much more skilled in terms of engineering and math. I mean, I wonder if you ever get tired of adjectives. You wish for specifications and metrics for these kinds of things. How broken is the world? How bent is it? It's not shattered. It's not totally a wreck. But what's, what's the deal? Well, we get that statement that the world is a broken place um, from a lot of places scripturally, but... The uh, clearest, which doesn't mean this isn't a challenging text, but the clearest explanation is in Romans chapter 8. For I consider, I'm in chapter 8, verse 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. Kind of a packed little phrase. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So I know what you're thinking. That was all totally clear. I don't need a sermon on that text. I get it. Adoption, justification, glorification, creation subject to decay. I'm good. We're not going to unpack each one of those verses. Um, What we're doing is we're using it in the series to help us consider what hope we do have. Most of our suffering will only be understood from a purpose standpoint in part. And not just this side of heaven, 
but until Jesus returns and makes all things new. Romans 8.28 should never be quoted as though it is talking about now. The context of it is not even heaven. You guys know there's something after heaven, right? You know that scripture says that heaven and earth will collide and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's when we're given new bodies. That's when we're given non-broken work. Isaiah 60 uh, is a long description of some of the work that we'll get to do in the new heavens and new earth. There are ships, kings of the earth come to be judged. It's fascinating. Romans 8, speaking about what today is like for the first century Christians and also for you and I. And it's about the new heavens and the new earth. Heaven exists. It's a glorious place where our citizenship today is, but eventually the two will come together. And it's important that we notice in Scripture that there are three times that we notice. There's life, there's life after death, and then there's life after life after death. And this is talking about two of those. But the world is tired, much like you and I are, of the suffering around us. We spoke last week more about uh, being a good friend to a sufferer than specifically about what we know about Scripture with respect to suffering. A friend pointed something out to me that, that... I didn't think of before last week or I would have included it. Not only is it difficult to sit with a friend that's suffering, sometimes we will ignore them. Another tendency that we have is to substitute someone else to sit next to them. Someone who can empathize and not just sit with them. And uh, my friend expressed to me that it caused great pain when she finally went to the lunch with the person that can empathize with her for all sorts of reasons instead of simply sitting with her friend. So we have all these temptations as, as humans when a friend suffers. We can ignore, we can substitute another person who can relate and thereby we don't have to sit with them. We can, we can try and talk them out of it. Not meaning talk them out of how bad they feel, but just talk about it and talk about it and then we can just leave. And instead, what I think we're called to do by this text and by other texts to learn to lament before God, learn to sit with one another. I've been using this term, uh, the mourner's bench, and here's how I define it. I define it as those who, through circumstance, are fatigued in soul. Their soul is fatigued. Throughout history, another friend pointed this out to me, the mourner's bench has been used to describe that, but also describe a place of penitence where you would confess sin. That's not how I'm defining it. I'm defining it, and, and many of us have been, have been forced to sit on it ourselves, and many of our friends have gone through it. Circumstances force us to a place of fatigue of soul. So I mentioned that I wish I knew exactly how broken the world was. Perhaps some of you tired of that phrase also. As far as scripture is concerned, the words would be far as the curse is found from the Christmas song. The curse is found all around the world. The entire creation and every human is subjected to the brokenness that happened in Genesis chapter 3. 
And you're like, wait a minute, that's not a description of the world. That's a description of our hope. Well, our hope is that much sweeter when we notice in Romans 8 that the entire creation is subject to decay and brokenness. Would you pray with me? Father, would you help us as we wrestle with a very thick text and as we wrestle with our limitations and our vantage point that is so different than yours, as we search for purpose, Lord, and ask you how long and attempt to understand all that you have told us in your word, bless us, Lord. Amen. The world is tired and the world itself, the physical creation is waiting. I wonder if that sounds funny to you. Perhaps you're a lover of nature and nature does not appear broken to us. And yet, I wonder if you've sat out in it long enough. A couple of weeks ago, I had my first Connecticut bear experience in terms of proximity. And I'm not saying that the bear is a big sinner. I'm just saying that Creation is broken, and boy, when he folded his hands, I was scared, though. You could tell I was scared of him, so he just sat down and folded his hands. Creation and people are waiting. What are we waiting for? For Jesus to return. He has come, he has intervened, period, the intervention. But things are not as they're supposed to be. The new heavens and the new earth are when we get new bodies. Did you see that in the text? the glory of the children of God. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Because you and I, even though we're made in the image of God, (laughs) we're subjected to decay, aren't we? I love telling people older than me about my knee and back problems and just watch them laugh. They're like, just you wait. And I know it's going to get worse. I'm looking forward. It's fine. (laughs) Even in as much as we're made in the image of God, We're still broken physically. People and the world and we are subject to decay. So we're waiting. We're waiting for new bodies. We're waiting for uncursed work. And while we wait, it is good and beautiful to learn to sit with one another in the midst of our sufferings. And it feels anemic, doesn't it? When you sit with someone and they're hurting... That's why we want to find the person that can empathize with them and have them sit with them instead of us because it's so hard to just sit. That's why we want to talk. That's why we quote quote Romans 8.28 out of context because we're in pain and they're in pain and we want to help. And yet, first of all, this is about the new heavens and new earth and that perspective. And second of all, when we try and help that way, we're missing the opportunity to actually help, which is to sit together and reflect on a lasting hope. A couple of years ago, I was at dinner with a friend in uh, Boston and a, a co-worker of his and her husband were at dinner and I had never met them before. And he started talking to me about uh, a preacher that's on TV and he said, and he wasn't actually disparaging him. He said, I think he's helpful to some people, but I think anyone going through a hard time would just maybe stop listening to him. 
And he, again, he was not disparaging that preacher. He was just separating him from perhaps the kind of preaching that might last when we suffer. And so I have to say something that's uncool. But if you've ever suffered, you're going to know that it's true. Yours and my understanding of almost every kind of suffering is going to be partial until we're with Jesus. If you leave here and you go to a bar and you take 10 shots and then you get in the car and you wrap your car around a tree and then you get out of the car and you say, how long, oh Lord? We would be like, oh, come on. That's not what just happened. Right? That kind of suffering we would understand. But most of the rest of them will understand some of it. And that's okay. That's the whole God thing, right? Only 3% of the population believes that God doesn't exist at all. A lot of people are uninterested in religion or think that religion is not helpful or they're not sure. We would call them agnostic. But it's only about 3% of the people believe that God doesn't exist at all. So the other 97%, what's the beginning of that? There is a God and I'm not Him. Which means there's a lot that we don't know. That's the beginning of faith. And so to talk of purpose is good and helpful if we do it wisely and kindly and we're paying attention to the friendship. In 2009, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. I had two surgeries and two rounds of chemotherapy. And since then, I've walked a couple of friends through uh, the same cancer. One had it, uh, his treatment was not as harsh as mine. One was far more harsh. And I was glad that I was able to walk them through that. But if you came up and told me, see, that's why you had cancer, then we're not as good of friends as we were right before you said that. (laughs) I'm just letting you know. And you're going to see if my Midwestern charm, if that's even what it is, if it can still exist. (laughs) I don't know if I'm charming. You can tell me later if you want. A couple of years ago, my wife was sick, and she had to receive chemotherapy too. And it did not cross my mind, does she feel that bad? Because I had had chemo. And I was thankful that it did not once cross my mind. But if you had come to me and said, see, that's why, (laughs) Uh, that just wouldn't go well. So what do we do? We wait. And this is what is so difficult about being a human being. The reason that only 3% of people don't believe God exists, exists, even though more people in America than not are antagonistic towards religion, is if God doesn't exist, being a human being is a terrible, terrible, dreaded existence. What you are forced to believe, and existentialist philosophers have teased this out and teased this out, what we are forced to believe is that Sisyphus is happy in his work. And you're like, who is Sisyphus? Is that another obscure Bible character that I don't know? No, Sisyphus is the Greek myth. Do we have a picture of that, Steve? I forgot to check with you. No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. That's all right. That's all right. We go from technology to technology to technology. <laughs> nope, that's the next one. 
That's all right. You did, but it's not your fault that PowerPoint and ProPresenter don't talk to each other. We don't expect you to learn. We don't, we don't expect our office volunteers to learn coding. Sisyphus is this myth in Greek mythology of this man who is punished for eternity. He had to push a rock up a hill and then the rock would come down the hill and he had to push it up again and it would come down. He had to push it up again and it would come down. Existentialist philosophers have pointed out to us if there's no God, our hope is to believe that Sisyphus is happy. That's why, that's why it's a very small number of people. A lot of people are agnostic. A lot of people are antagonistic towards religion. But a very few actually say God doesn't exist. The alternative is faith and trust and hope in God. And those are vague words. But they are what we have because we are but creatures. And our perspective is limited. That's why Romans 8, 18-30 talks about waiting repeatedly. That the creation is waiting and we're waiting. And it's good to learn to do that spiritually and as friends. In addition to the world being tired and waiting, we get to groan. It's actually beautiful to groan with a friend when they're suffering. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Verse 23. Eagerly waiting for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. We groan. Psychologists have said that if you meet a victim of, of abuse and they share that with you, you have five minutes to prove to them that you're safe. Similarly, as friends and as human beings, we actually need to learn the spiritual skill of groaning with our friends and groaning in prayer, knowing, and this is a sweet promise, that the Holy Spirit, in verse 26, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And it is hard to do that. It's not easy to sit before God and groan It's not easy to sit with a friend and groan. I've been reading to my eight-year-old the series of Vader's Little Princess. Good night, Darth Vader. It's hilarious Star Wars books. And the way that people groan in those books is with that little... Go ahead, Steve. That. Just a little... Let's practice. Uh, Feels silly. What are we doing? We're admitting that we're finite creatures. We're admitting the world is not as it's supposed to be. We're admitting that we really want Jesus to come back right now. And frankly, that would be the best ending to the sermon ever. You think, I'm, you think I'm kidding? Jesus says, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are all four commands. I would, lo- I would love it. I would love to not get to point four. But it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And so, in the meantime, that's right. In the meantime, we groan. 
Not because there isn't good news, not because we don't have hope, but because our suffering will be only partially explained. We're waiting and groaning for the consummation. You're like, that's an interesting word to be part of a sermon. That's what theologians call it when heaven and earth collide. You can call it recreation or consummation. It's when the new heavens and the new earth are, are made. It's when heaven and earth come together. That's actually when we will understand without trite language, with full hope, all that has happened. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. When heaven and earth collide at the consummation of all things, when Jesus returns, that's when we will understand. Which is why we should not quote Romans 8.28 unless someone says, do you know Romans 8.28? Or in the context of the new heavens and the new earth. Many of us would like to know more, but that is the beginning of the with God life, admitting that God exists and we are not Him. It is okay that you and I do not know more. We have prayers to pray, songs to sing, we speak to our soul about the good news and about hope, we wait and we groan for Jesus to return. If you have correctly read The Lord of the Rings, you know that the greatest character in that story is Sam Gamgee. And he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer is yes. That answer is sweet and bitter in our mouths at the same time because we're still here. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes. In the meantime, we learn to lament we learn to sit with one another in spiritual friendship. All the other things that we know about suffering are still true. If you were here three weeks ago, I preached for six minutes. Sometimes it's hard for a pastor to do, but it wasn't that weak. Suffering grows us up. It matures us. That's still true. Suffering is part of our witness. That's still true. The answer to suffering is that Jesus came and he died and he rose again. So we cannot say, you must not care about us. We're like, but we feel like he doesn't care about us. We look at the work of the cross, the intervention, and we know that that isn't why. It's not that he doesn't care about us. And yet that gets us part of the way. And so we learn to lament. And we learn to sit with one another in spiritual friendship. We learn to groan in our prayers. Still believing that everything sad is going to come untrue.